remember the first time your mind was blown about the endless sort of metaphysical possibilities of life? You know, the idea of thinking a new way about reality and things beyond our normal sense perception. Maybe it was a science teacher in grade school or a physics professor in college. Or maybe it was a movie like The Matrix, which turned into a cultural reference point. Or maybe it was The Truman Show or director Chris Nolan's movie Inception. Well, get ready for a little mind-blowing in our conversation today about Transcendental Meditation, or TM for short. Welcome to the Global Wellness Conversations podcast. This is your host, Kim Marshall, and today we're going to go deep to go wide. We're diving into an ocean of consciousness. That's because we're talking to Dr. Tony Nader, who is not just a medical doctor, a neuroscientist, and an international scholar, but he's also one of the world's leading experts on transcendental meditation, which is to be clear, according to the experts, quote, a specific non-religious technique for detaching oneself from anxiety and promoting harmony and self-realization, typically by repetition of a mantra, unquote. You'll see that Dr. Nader blends his mastery in modern science with ancient Vedic wisdom. And although this topic could float off into space for most of us, I promise you, we keep it tethered to the earth. We keep it real. Dr. Nader was actually one of the highlights of the opening day of November's Global Wellness Summit in Miami. He emits a light, a joy, a serenity that you can't help but be drawn to. So we start there and explore his work and the bona fide research results from decades of studying the profound impact that TM can have, not just on individuals, but communities, and as Dr. Nader proposes, to the world. We're publishing this episode in the season of the year where people long for peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Find out today about Dr. Nader's science-backed belief that instead of constantly repeating the millennia of humans treating enemies with enmity, the truth is, when we learn how to dive into our own ocean of consciousness and nurture ourselves from the inside out, there is a ripple effect to the world around us. So take a deep breath, imagine the ocean, and let's go. Here we are. It's such an exciting day. Simone Biles just got off the stage with her mom. But even before that, the day started out. It's been so emotional here at the Global Wellness Summit, pivoted to Miami. But one of the people I was looking forward to hearing is Dr. Tony Nader. He is an MD and a PhD, trained at Harvard and MIT with a PhD in neuroscience. Guys, it's intimidating. The man is so full of content. It's so deep. It's like everything all everywhere all at once and the matrix meet. <laughs> and then you try to have a conversation. But the thing we're going to focus on today is that Dr. Nader is the successor to the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And he's the head of the Transcendental Meditation Organization of the world. Okay. So welcome, Dr. Nader. Thank you for making time. Thank you for having me, Kim. It's wonderful to be on this Global Wellness Summit. It's uh, starting really well. It's beautiful. You can feel the energy, can't you? Absolutely great. We really mean well. We really want to try and help. So speaking of which, trying and helping. Your job is so huge. It's so global. You're reaching out and trying to teach people how to calm down and heal from within. 
can heal the world, right? <laughs> exactly. So can we start out, please, with your bio? Your face, I have to say, is so welcoming and warm. And then I found out you're Lebanese. Well, no wonder. I read that Lebanese cultural characters are honor, sincerity, integrity, hospitality, sensitivity, adaptability, and wariness. <laughs> so tell me how long ago you left Lebanon. It's been 40 years or so, even mm-hmm. more. Yeah. More than 40 years. And it was uh, at the end or in the middle of the civil war. Yeah. I went to MIT and uh, did, started my PhD. At the same time, went to Harvard at the Mass General Hospital, did clinical and research fellowship in neurology there. So that is an, a normal trajectory for a young boy from Lebanon. How do you think your life got turned in that direction? I was interested in uh, understanding human mind and body and the relationship and how we can use our full potential to make life better. So I studied medicine and in medicine, hoping that the physiology will give us the knowledge that is needed and how we can improve it. Then I found uh, maybe we have to go more to specialized part of the physiology, which is the nervous system. I did some psychiatry and then shifted to neurology and to neuroscience, brain and cognitive science. Oh, my goodness. At the same time, I was practicing transcendental meditation, which is from the mind side. So there were things from the physical side, the body side, and also directly from reaching our potential from the mind side. I can't imagine what your conversations were like at dinner with your mother and father, (laughs) if that's the direction you wanted to go. So meditation, we've certainly heard about. Would you mind letting us know what's the difference between meditation and transcendental meditation? Meditation is a general world. Of course, we have mindfulness where we want the mind to be full and experience the points of objectivity, of reality, from a full subjective perspective where we are present in what we do. Because otherwise, we are half present and our mind and intellect are analyzing things, uh, but bombarded from so many values that they're not analyzing things in a, in a complete way. So one way mindfulness works is to allow the mind to settle down a little bit and start looking at things and be present for whatever we do. It can be a practice of being present for even your breathing, being present for your thoughts, and having attention on specific aspects, maybe being present for your feelings, uh, for your desires, for memories, whatever. It's like an open monitoring kind of situation. Transcendental meditation is different in the sense that it goes beyond putting attention or being present on an object of thought or experience or memory or feeling or desire or breathing or anything. That's why there is the term to transcend, which means to go beyond. And you go beyond all of that to a state of what we call pure consciousness, pure awareness, where, you know, usually you can think transcend to to leave all of this behind is falling asleep. But there you lose your awareness. In this case, what we do is we let go of all of this and go back to our true inner self, which is a state of pure being, pure awareness, devoid of content. So it's something we don't usually know or experience because usually when we are conscious, we are conscious of something. Yeah. And now you are conscious of yourself or conscious of consciousness itself. 
And that is the special aspect of transcendental meditation. Well, so what you're saying is that TM is the absolute opposite of how most of us live, with a constant dinging, looking, texting, newsflash, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's like you have a tree. I like to take this example a lot. You have a tree and you're interested in the fruits and the flowers. You want it to be successful, to want it to look absolutely beautiful. And you go around, you know, <laughs> wiping the flowers or you know, spreading uh, things on the on the tree, on the leaves, and looking at the fruits coming out and all of that, which is great in some level, but you forget to water the roots. So you leave all the surface value, actually. And somebody who doesn't know how the tree works, they think you're wasting your time because you're leaving all that is really important on the surface and kind of going to something hidden under the ground but then when you discover that all that is on the surface actually comes from the strengths of the roots in the field, then you say, well, water the root to enjoy the fruit. And therefore, in transcending, we go back to our inner self, step away from everything so that we can come back to it with great dynamism, great knowledge, great inspiration and great clarity of thinking and purposefulness. You always talk about the ocean. In fact, I think your book is called, your new book, One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness. Is that right? Yes, that's how it was printed. We're doing a second edition, which we will call Consciousness is All There Is. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Isn't that the name of your podcast as well? Uh, yes. Oh, yes, okay, so exactly. if people want to see that. Now, you said on stage today that there's a hard problem of consciousness. Hold our hands if we're not, you know, used to, uh, physics and meta metaphysics, and help us uh, understand what that means. Without going into physics and metaphysics, simply there is uh, experience that is subjective. I feel like that. I love, I see a color and I subjectively experience the color red. Even pain, I, you know, there is something uh, tra transmitting, maybe if I pinch myself or something, that there is a sensory feeling that goes to the brain. And when we study brain science and cognitive science, we can tell how the message goes, where it goes in the brain, what uh, chemicals are secreted, what neurotransmitters, what parts of the brain are stimulated. This is fine, but then how does it become a personal subjective experience that we experience directly? That is this value, which some call qualia or whatever, individual experiences that are very personal, that are not mechanical in their quality, in their experience. And so there is something that is physical material, and that is how does the transmission of pain happen, etc., which is called the easy problem, even though it's extremely difficult and we it still hurts, have a lot to right? go to do. But, you know, it was David Chalmers, who a philosopher, who, who coined this term. The easy problem is to actually discover how the brain works. But the hard problem is how to see that this consciousness value, this awareness, which is personal, <clears throat> subjective, how can it arise from physical dynamics of molecules and electrical activity. Oh, no, this is so deep. It's so deep. And today you were talking about, and I've, I've heard some of your podcasts that talk about 
separation between time and space. And I think really what this is talking about is the difference between human and AI, isn't it? In a way, because the consciousness is a living, breathing thing that machines don't have, or do you think they do? Consciousness is very subjective, very personal. And what I can say is that the machines don't have the consciousness of humans. I see. So this is where there is a difference in, in understanding. My proposal is that consciousness is all there is, which means even the physical world is actually a substrate, a phenomenon of consciousness. <laughs> this is where it gets complicated. Yeah. Because if you start from a starting point that everything is material, everything is physical, there is some energy, it becomes atoms, it becomes molecules, and then cells, and becomes our body, and then consciousness arises, then you have the hard problem of consciousness. Because how does it arise? Yeah. How is it emerging from this physical These thing. cells, this matter, right? Exactly. And until now, this is a complicated problem which nobody has solved. <laughs> and the problem is, in my, my understanding, my feeling, is not the mechanism of how consciousness emerges from the physical. The problem starts from the initial assumption that everything is physical. I see. So now we have to change the paradigm and can sound like a crazy idea, but it is actually, in my point of view, the only idea that actually solves all the problems. Hmm. What is the crazy idea? Crazy idea is that instead of starting from some physical energy or something physical, whatever it is, we start with consciousness. So we assume there is a consciousness which is non-material, non-physical, has nothing to do with physical material, has nothing to do with time and space and limitations of the physical matter. It's a consciousness. We call it, that's why I called it the ocean of consciousness. It's an infinite ocean of consciousness. So you imagine there is something non-material, but it has a quality within itself, which is consciousness. And now the problem changes. We are kind of <laughs> leaving the problem of consciousness because the hard problem of consciousness is the emergence of consciousness from physical. But if you start with consciousness, you don't have anymore the hard problem of consciousness because this is all there is. But then you're substituting for a different problem, obviously. The different problem, which I'm saying is now what should be actually the real problem, is the problem of physicalness. Huh. <laughs> which means, how is it possible? You're telling me, okay, everything starts with consciousness. Now you say, well, how then this physical world exists? We know we exist in tables and rooms and people and we eat, we suffer, we live, we grow, we do this, all of this. How all of this arises? And that is really what I have tried to solve because those who are called idealists have existed forever which means, you know, Plato, Vedantic knowledge from the ancient knowledge, even Leibniz and Spinoza. And we have many philosophers, many thinkers who actually think and say that the non-material is primary and is the source somehow of the material. But isn't it funny? I mean, this just strikes me, Dr. Nader, that humans have always wondered about this. I mean, it doesn't mean in the 2020s is the first time it was ever contemplated, right? Because uh, you said the ancients 
talked about absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the times of <clears throat> Parmenides, of all of this, the Greeks, the ancient Romans, the, you know, people wondered, where are we coming from? And, you know, there was a time when, okay, some Cartesian vision by Descartes has said, well, stop thinking about the problem. There are two realities. One is the spiritual consciousness side, and the other is the physical side, and we solve the problem. But it's not satisfactory because you don't know how one interacts with the other and why should there be two origins and how does it work? You know, so today most scientists and philosophers prefer a monistic perspective, which means a perspective in which everything is either physical and then from it emerges some phenomenon which is consciousness like somehow, magical, but we don't know yeah. how, or everything is non-physical, but then how does the physical emerge? Is it just an illusion? Uh, are we living in a matrix? Oh my God. Uh, are we in a dream? Are we being, you know, a simulation? And that is the problem that has not been really addressed. And this is what I try to address. And as far as I'm concerned, I have found a very compelling logic about how the non-physical can actually appear as physical and that the physical is only an appearance in consciousness. Can I just say to you that I wrote down from what you said today, big mind behind it all. Right. Is that your feeling? Exactly. Oh, I'm so excited about that. <laughs> so is that like a reservoir, a source of consciousness that everybody can plug into? It's not up? a source. It's just an ocean of consciousness. I see. And that ocean has a dynamics. Dynamics coming from its nature of being consciousness, which means to be conscious. And in a simplified way, this dynamics of this ocean, imagine an ocean, it's not water, of course, it's just non-material, non-physical existence. But pure. good metaphor, good yeah, metaphor. Yeah, uh, metaphor is really helpful, yes. So imagine that there is this ocean of being, perfect ocean of flat being, but it has a quality, it's conscious. It is consciousness. It is pure consciousness. Okay, so that's an axiom. That's a starting point. Now, how we can build the rest from that starting point? We build the rest by saying it is consciousness and it has the ability to be conscious in all possible ways. Infinite number of ways of being conscious. Okay? That is crazy. So, infinite <laughs> ways of being conscious include what? Include you being conscious of me. Include the cat being conscious of us if the cat is around. And if you have a dog, they're certainly it could conscious be a dog. of you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Now, it can also include a tree that's not conscious you know, of you, but could be. Tell me what you mean by that, because I love trees. How would you see that manifest? This is a very important point in the discussion about consciousness. As I said in my speech, in my talk, if we project our own idea of what consciousness is onto other things in reality, in creation, in life, then we will be stuck and it's impossible to get convinced that consciousness is everywhere. The thing is, consciousness is in a range from a meager, minor, very little consciousness to a higher and higher and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger consciousness. When we come to humans, we have quite a consciousness. Yeah, we're pretty cool. Exactly. We, we realize <laughs> ourselves. We know who we are. We look at the future. We look at the past. 
you know, we study things, we understand nature. That's a quite a consciousness. We ask questions exactly. where a dolphin might not. Exactly. Right. Now, if you take a dolphin and from the dolphin, you say, well, is the dolphin conscious like me as a human being? And you say, no, no, it's not. It's impossible. And therefore, the dolphin is not conscious. Well, that's ridiculous. So, I'm not saying the dolphin is conscious like you. So when we come to the tree, you say, well, the tree is conscious. You say, no, it's impossible. The tree doesn't know it is a tree. It doesn't know it exists. It has no idea what things happen. It has no choice. It has no ability to do anything. It just responds to phenomena in nature. But it's conscious it means it feels the wetness in the ground. A cut. It feels a cut. It responds to it. It heals itself. It feels the sun. It moves towards the sun. So, right. so even though it's meager, small amount of consciousness compared to a human consciousness, yet we are saying this is also consciousness. That's why some of us hug trees, Dr. Nader. Exactly. <laughs> but even the stone has or is consciousness because even the stone doesn't feel anything, doesn't sense anything, doesn't have any sense. But it feels the gravity. What I'm calling here consciousness is even the ability to respond to anything, to interact with anything. It's also a piece, very little, wow. meager, small amount of consciousness. So when you drop the stone, it's not the stone says, oh, I'm going to break apart. I'm going to suffer. It has no suffering. It has no feeling. It has no sense of being. It doesn't know what it is. It doesn't, doesn't have plan. choice. Yeah. Nothing. Uh -huh. It just falls, but it has sensed gravity. And that is a very elementary small amount of consciousness also. Wow. You mentioned ego, mind, intellect, air, water, fire. What is that? What are those when it comes to consciousness? I took these examples because it's just to say that these are also phenomena of consciousness. So the ego is the sense of appreciating individuality. Being conscious of individuality is ego when we refer this to yourself as I am an individual, I am existing, so you have an ego, that means what? That means you're conscious of your identity. Intellect is being conscious of different identities and knowing their different realities. So these are phenomena in consciousness. The mind is also a phenomenon in consciousness. The mind is the ability of consciousness to fathom different perspectives, to jump from one idea to the other, from one conscious experience to another conscious right. experience, we call the mind. So mindfulness, for example, is being conscious of something, being conscious of the other, and the ability to have a fullness of presence of consciousness in specific aspects of, of experience. Transcending is going beyond the mind, beyond the intellect, beyond the ego, and reaching that ocean of consciousness which creates that all. Now, what's important, be because this is really important to highlight, because this is what our talk so far is a little philosophical, which right. is very important, but it has a very practical implications. What are some of the findings? I see you mentioned veterans, you mentioned people suffering from depression and anxiety. What sort of conclusions have you come to? What we've come through to is that we have a system, our nervous system, which is uh, dynamics of consciousness, <laughs> that allows us to go beyond the surface values. And when we are stuck and we have stresses and strain, which are kind of deformities, if you like, in the functioning of the system, 
then we are not able to use our full potential. And therefore, that has implications on health, on stress, on well-being, on experience, and all of that. We have shown that people who transcend, which means who go back to their original essence, to that ocean of consciousness, have improved health, improved behavior, more creativity, more intelligence, they have more coherence. And what is fantastic in recent years, like in the past 30 years, we have done many research on the collective effect of the practice of transcendental meditation and its advanced techniques and shown that when a small percentage of people in a city or in a, in a town or a, a nation even practices this program, they are enlivening that ocean of consciousness and bringing like light to a dark room. And then people, even though who don't practice transcendental meditation, they feel it and they experience it on a subconscious level and their behavior changes. Because what we have seen is when a critical number of people practice this program is reached, you have reduction in crime, reduction accidents of the road, reduction in infant mortality, reduction in hospital admissions, and all of these are substantial. And we have done research on conflicts. And that is why we are proposing that the solution to the problems and the crisis in the world today reside in transforming or enlivening, awakening consciousness. All right, I know you say that. But you gotta, you got to really hold my hand on this one. You're saying that it can have a ripple effect across that ocean if you just practice TM. But let's just talk about it. In the last three years, there's, let's see, since 2020, a global pandemic with over 3 million deaths worldwide. George Floyd's murder, global protest. An invasion of Ukraine with over 350,000 dead on both sides. Our most current horror in Israel and Gaza, the reason we're not in the Middle East right now, with thousands of civilians maimed and killed, not to mention melting polar ice caps, hurricanes, floods, wildfires. So how are we supposed to calm ourselves down? With <laughs> well, unfortunately, or fortunately, but in an unfortunate way, these are actually like control groups. What we had is the requirement that the people who practice the advanced techniques of transcendental meditation do it together as a group. And we've been proclaiming this for 50 years. It's not like we started it yesterday. yesterday. And we've done research on it repeatedly. Now, what happens is during the pandemic, our groups were dismantled worldwide. Mm -hmm. We had large groups in India. We had a large group even in the United States, in Fairfield, Iowa, in our Maharishi International University. And we have the statistics that show the relationship between all of these other factors, including conflict plus the other aspects that I mentioned, between those and the number of people practicing the program together. When the program stops or the numbers decrease, you can see an immediate change in the other factors. And this has been documented and researched Crazy. many, many times and published scientifically. We have 55, 56 scientific research on this, seven of which are published in peer-reviewed journals. Uh, journals and articles and reviewed by scientists. So the answer is, it's not like you take the pill and you will have no more headache and you stop taking the pill. It's more like you feel tired, you sleep, you wake up in the morning, you feel fresh. Now you wake up in the morning, you feel fresh and you say, great, I'm feeling great. So there is no need to sleep anymore. 
because I'm feeling good. And what I mean is we have to maintain the groups so that we maintain the light. If you flip on the light and people see, and great, they say, great, I don't need electricity anymore. But when the night comes and you flip the light off, then you are going to find the same problems. And that's what we have seen. That's why actually we have stopped to do these large programs together because it's like a firefighter. You know, the fire comes, you stop the fire, and then another fire comes. What we want is a permanent group that maintains this coherence and collective consciousness. Is that what you wrote to President Biden about? Exactly, exactly. And we are going to plan to do it ourselves for now. We'd like to have the support of wealthy people, of well-wishers of the world, with a very tiny percentage of the budgets that are being proposed to solve the problems by creating problems or through more problems, and to turn into peace to create peace, into harmony to create harmony, into uh, destroying the enmity in the enemy rather than destroying the enemy and creating more enmities. It's so true. And that we can do from the level which is the real aspect of life, and that is consciousness, not from the material level, which is only an appearance within consciousness on the surface level. So if you have an ocean and the waves, you can try to act on the level of the waves, but your results will not be as effective as if you are the controller of the ocean and you can move the ocean bring the light and dispel the darkness. We need to tell our listeners two things before you go. You have 10,000 people gathered for world peace. When is that? End of December, beginning of January. So from 29 December till 13 January in Hyderabad in India. And this is a demonstration. We are trying to do it ourselves with whatever means we can have. Hopefully we'll get actually 10,000. And hopefully they'll practice the program together. And we expect to see a great effect. But to have it really produce the results, we need longer period, of course. And we need it to be permanent, not just a flash of light and you see and then the darkness comes back. I mean, when you think the conflict in the Middle East is half-brothers of generations of hate and resentment, right? That cycle has to be broken some way. Yes. So if our listeners are really moved by this and they want to know more, you really, that podcast, Consciousness is All There Is, and your website is Dr. Tony Nader. Is that right? DrTonyNader.com. What would our listeners be able to do if they were interested in trying TM? Because you should really have an instructor, right? You shouldn't do it on your own. Yeah, TM is taught personally, but we have an app that can be used for follow-up. So uh, you learn in just two days, practically, from a personal teacher at, at a rate of one, two hours per day. It's not like the whole thing. And then you have an app which you can use to make sure you're practicing correctly. Or you can stay with your teacher for three, four days. You can go to tm.org to, wow. to find a teacher wherever you are. And we have now a site that's called 10,000 for World Peace. Oh. And the letter I wrote to Mr. President is directed to what we call the Global Union of Scientists for Peace and G-U-S-P, GUSP. Okay. GUSP.org. And there you will see the article, which is in the Wall Street Journal that has the letter, the open letter I wrote to the president. Well, 
ladies and gentlemen out there, I'm just going to tell you, this is not a woo-woo conversation. This doctor studied at Harvard, may I remind you, MIT, and research is what he's done on all these ideas that he shared with us today, which is kind of a refreshing change from a lot of the wellness seekers, right? So, Dr. Nader, I feel better just looking at you, and I think the ripple effect is a real thing. And thank you for um, encouraging me to hug my dog and hug my trees. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you for being with you. You're wonderful to be with and to discuss such topics with you. Thank you so much. Did you enjoy that? Like I said, a new way of looking at reality and good news for tree huggers and dolphin lovers. But I really can't think of a better way to end the year than by taking a deep dive into practical, research-backed, and yet kind of unexpected ways to contribute to peace and harmony across the globe. That's not to mention the personal benefits from shutting out the noise of the world that we're constantly bombarded with by doing TM for about 15 minutes twice a day. According to the research that Dr. Nader refers to, not only will you get lower stress and anxiety, better sleep, and better cardiovascular health, but you'll also enjoy clarity, focus, and creativity from a clearer mind. Fascinating. Find out more at tm.org, which is pretty easy to remember. Now, as we wrap up 2023, it seems like a good time to go down memory lane and review the year we've had on the podcast. We posted 20 new episodes, starting off with a bang with episode 64, where we talk with National Geographic fellow Dan Butner of Blue Zones fame, who went on to debut a number one series on Netflix on the same topic. Maybe you saw it. And according to Spotify, our most shared episode was when we talked to Simon Shelley about the launch of BBC StoryWorks new series entitled In Pursuit of Wellness. Spotify also told us our most downloaded episode was all about social wellness, and it was with the founder of Remedy Place, Jonathan Leary. We garnered a lot of new listeners from what turned out to be a very prescient interview with Oded Rahev entitled, A Jordanian, an Israeli, and a Palestinian walk into the Dead Sea to try and save the planet. The biggest takeaway for me from episode 72 when I spoke with Joseph G. Allen, the head of Harvard's Healthy Building Program and a member of the Lancet Commission, was when he said, we know now that not one person caught COVID outside. Wow. But I must admit, other standouts for me were interviews with leading ladies of wellness, like the amazing Dr. Deborah Burks, who was the only female on the White House COVID task force in the Trump administration, and the extraordinary Sophie Howe from Wales, who was the world's first commissioner of the future. And I would be remiss not to mention my chat with Deborah Zake, the godmother of the mind-body fitness movement, and Susie Ellis, the godmother of the business of wellness, in an episode entitled, A Mentor, Two Mavens, and the Birth of a Movement. There are many, many more gems in all our conversations, most of which are evergreen, so feel free to go back and listen to any and all. But before we go, can we ask a favor? Can you pretty please take a minute to rate this podcast from one to five stars? I hope you'll pick five, but it's totally up to you. Here's the very simple way to rate us on Spotify. Open the Spotify app on your device, search for the Global Wellness Conversations podcast, then 
tap the rating icon beneath the podcast description. If you don't see it, tap the three dots to open a menu and choose the rate show option. Then just tap on the stars. If your preferred way of listening is through the purple podcast icon on your iPhone, then here's how to rate the show. Search for Global Wellness Conversations, go to its homepage where all the episodes are listed, and page down until you see ratings and review. Tap on the stars. There you go. We're grateful and appreciate your time. Okay, two more reminders before we go. Don't forget to register for the 2024 Global Wellness Summit in St. Andrews, Scotland. How cool. Before the rate goes up. And of course, be on the lookout for the Global Wellness Summit's ever popular annual Future of Wellness Trend Report, released at the end of January. But you can pre-order it now at globalwellnesssummit.com. You know, it's been a real privilege sharing wellness wisdom with you over these past four years. Here's to many more insights from thought leaders in the $5.6 trillion global wellness economy in the year ahead. This is Kim Marshall from Swell the Agency. See you in January. Global Wellness Conversations is produced by the Global Wellness Summit and Swell the Agency. Audio engineering by Nova Media. Executive producer, Kim Marshall. Supervising producer, Heidi Moon. Senior producer, Darlene Fisk. Associate producer, Sarah Molina. Special thanks to Movo for our microphones and Mindstream Wellness Music for our theme music.